Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Right. I got to give a quick uh, disclaimer. I was I was told from someone in the church jokingly, but they said, for those of you here last week, you'll get it. They said, I, I don't understand. I think the moral of last week's message is that we can throw rocks at each other and curse at one another and you still got to receive it. <laughs> so if you were here last week, I hope you know that that was not the moral of last week's story. Okay. We're not cursing, throwing rocks at one another. Um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to jump I'm going to jump right into this so we can get started. Everyone good? Yeah. Got our got our word, our Bibles. Um, God has been putting His finger on a lot. I know we've been saying that, but it's it's really it's a really a beautiful time for us. Uh, the things that I feel the Lord's highlighting, although they are distinct and unique, meaning we can journey um, in a very unique way in, in in each of these subjects. I do believe that there is a sweet spot where they all really overlap, and I, and I feel we're going to find that. I know we have some idea in general, but some of the things the Lord's been highlighting is uh, repentance. Last week, we talked about discipline of the Lord, which, I, man, I just felt really there was such a beautiful presence of God last week as we unpack that and expect the same to come. But um, repentance, discipline of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is where we're going to be going. Um, the holiness of God uh, purity, consecration, these are all a number of things that I really feel stirred up in my heart. And I, and I want to just reiterate this and put it before us that I do not believe these things are being stirred up because of God's disdain towards us, but I really believe it's actually a sign of his devotion towards us. I really believe it's actually, um, in these, I feel like some of these things, they bring a connotation of, uh, I don't know, we, like God is, is ready to you know, dismiss us, but actually I'm realizing these are, I think, things God's put his finger on because he's so committed to doing the things that he's promised. And there's sometimes you can walk through things and be like, God, why, why is this happening? Why are you doing this? And God says, I'm answering what you've prayed for. <laughs> and I really feel a lot of what we've been praying for to go deeper and to see the things we want to see, this is a major part, the stuff that we're talking about. So, so with that being said, we're going to get into... Um, a number of things in the next few weeks. In particular, fear of the Lord is going to come next. Um, but I did feel to give one more, um, I just want to kind of talk through one more time on the topic of repentance. And we've hit a lot of things in repentance. We've hit a lot of specific areas. But I, I, there's something that I really wanted to stop and, and, and hone in on because I think it's really the key to how to experience like real lasting change. And, and I want us to get this. And some of the things that we'll share, I know as a body we've hit on in the past um, in some form or fashion, but I, I really think this is so critical before we move forward that we really get what we're going to talk about today. All right? You guys good? You with me? So I want to speak one more time into this. So turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus 13, please. To be... Uh, uh, I, I, just to kind of give us some vision for today. The last few weeks, I feel that God has had us in certain sections of Scripture, and we've just stayed in one place and just broke it, broke it open. Um, today's going to be a little bit different, just to give you a fair warning. Probably going to bounce around to a few different verses. I wish we had a screen so you could see them. I could just point them, but I'll do my best to speak them, and, and some will, I'll have you turn to. Um, but real quick, real quick, and then we'll, we'll share, I'll, I'll get into what we're going to hit today. In the big picture, what we've been talking about is um, repentance the last few weeks, and specifically that repentance, 
uh, very simply deals with a change of course. It's a change of direction. Uh, the most common phrase you see used often in the scriptures is turn or return to me, the Lord says. And so there's this idea where we've been heading in one direction, and we've hit this hard. It's not just for someone who doesn't know the Lord. Even as believers, we're filled with the Spirit. He's with us, but we can still come out of alignment with what he's asked us to do. And repentance is really this shift, this turn, this change of direction where we begin to come into alignment with God's will. And ultimately, repentance always leads us back to the Lord. Okay, it's very, very important. If, if, If you don't have that, it can get really weird and distorted. Um, I'll give you an example, Exodus 33, where Moses is on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments, this holy encounter on the base of the mountain. Israel is already forming an idol, a golden calf to worship. And God, God says to Moses, I'm going to let you go to the promised land, but I won't go with you guys. And in verse 2 and 3 of Exodus 33, Moses leads the people into repentance and mourning. For what purpose? For, for they repent because of the threat of God withdrawing his presence. Right now, as New Covenant believers, it looks a little different, but the idea is the ultimate end goal of repentance is, God, we want to we be connected with you. We want to restore intimacy. And what can happen is a lot of times we can teach people how to turn from the golden calf. That's really good, but we don't teach them how to turn to the better thing, which is the Lord. And if you just teach people how to turn from the golden calf, eventually you'll return or go to another one because you have yet to reach or see the one that meets that desire that you're looking for, Right? So the question, though, is how do we turn? Like, how do we make this shift in our life? And what we've went through is a number of, there's really three things you find, is that there's got to be a change of, there's a change of behavior, a change of heart, which is emotion, and there is a change in the mind, okay? So the will, the heart of the emotions, and the mind. Uh, One of the clearest examples of this is James 4.8. James which this scripture I love, but I've never saw it that it's actually rooted in repentive language. James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Okay, that's Zechariah 1.3. Return to me and I'll return to you. Connection, intimacy. But the rest of James is very important. It says, wash your hands, O you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, how do I draw near to God? How do I shift my direction? Wash your hands is your works meaning your behavior, your lifestyle. There's a change in lifestyle. It says purify your hearts. There's a change of emotion. And then it speaks to the double mind, which is the change of mind. Change of mind, change of heart, change of will. But here's the key, guys. You will get really frustrated if you don't start with the right thing. The key to a lasting permanent change is the change of mind. This is at the heart of repentance. In fact, one of the key words used for repentance in the New Testament is metanoia, which means change of mind, okay? So this is like really simple and practical today. But if you walk away with one thing, I want you to know this. Your, your beliefs dictate your behavior. This is where if we want to have real change in our lives, our minds have to be renewed. We've got to learn how to take thoughts captive. And this is where our lifestyles begin to change, okay? So let's look at Exodus 13, verse, uh, verse 17. Exodus 13, verse 17. This is, for the context, this is where Israel has been released from Egypt, and this is right before the Red Sea, okay? Exodus 13, verse 17. And I want you to see what this says. It says, verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. 
So when God allowed the Israelites to leave, it says he didn't send them along the coast, which is where the Philistines were, even though it was a shorter route to the promised land. Instead, God's going to bring them on this divine detour. Now, why would God do that? Well, look what it says. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. You guys see that? We're going to drill this point. So God said, I'm not going to send the Israelites along the shorter route because if they see the Philistines, they will not be ready for war. In their minds, they will say, we cannot overcome this enemy. And as a result, they will actually turn and go back to Egypt. Now, what's fascinating is the word return here in the Hebrew is shub, which is the same word that Zechariah uses when he says, return to me and I'll return to you. Same word. In fact, Isaiah 30, 15, the Lord says, in returning and rest, you will be saved. Or the word returning there in some translations say, in repentance and rest, you will be saved. The point is, is that return and repentance, it's actually the same word in the Hebrew. What you see here is a profound picture of, of how we repent. We have to have our minds changed. When you change your mind, it will shift the direction of your life. Okay? Everyone with me on that? So, so in the beginning of this year, we were working through uh, a teaching series on the Word of God. And uh, there was something that I just I want to reiterate because I think it's really, really important for us. Um, something that God had highlighted back in January. Some of you may recall, may not, but it's really important for this. Um, scripturally, we find that a human is made up of a soul, okay? Now, everyone probably has heard that, and you may have even heard if you've been in Christianity for some amount of time, that the soul is made up of three things, the mind, the will, and the emotions, okay? So we just got, got done talking about how a person changes, all three of these things will shift, right? The question, though, again, is, is uh, how, how does that, how, which one needs to take place first? So I think most of us probably know here that if you've been in, again, in, in Christianity for some amount of time, you've probably heard that you have a soul and your soul is the mind, will, and emotions. Life affects your soul. The issue that I found in my life and that with many people in, in, in early on in their journey is that we do not understand how our soul works. We do not understand how our mind, will, and emotions interact with one another, how they affect one another, how they impact one another. So here's what happened in my life. When I first got saved, I had a tremendous amount of zeal and passion to do things for the Lord. I really wanted to shift my behavior. In other words, my focus was on my will. I was so bent on God, I want to do the things that your word says, and I want to not do the things that your word says, stay away. You with me? A lot of us, this is where we start, and it's, it's pure and it's sincere. And what happens is, is that our primary measuring stick of how we're doing before the Lord is based on our will. In other words, when we're doing well, when we're behaving well, we feel like we're right with God, and, and that's really the way we're determining where we're at with the Lord. Unfortunately, what I found is that I got really frustrated because I couldn't often do the things that I knew I should be doing. What then began to happen is my emotions got jacked up. I got filled with shame and, and condemnation and depression, and all of these things started, started seeping into my heart. And I want to I propose to you today, as I've experienced in my life, that if you have a doing issue, meaning if you feel like there's things that you know you should be doing but not, or if you have a feeling issue, meaning you know your emotions are not in alignment with what Jesus said should be in a new covenant believer, the peace of the Lord, the joy of the Lord. If you have a doing or a feeling issue, I want to propose to you that what you really have is a thinking issue. What we really have is a thinking issue because you're thinking 
Your beliefs produce your feelings and your feelings produce your doing. And most of the time we start with the doing or the feeling getting frustrated because we do not experience lasting change. Maybe for a season, maybe even for a year, but eventually we go back because the permanent change happens in the mind. Proverbs 23.7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Now, at first thought, that's like, that sounds kind of new agey. <laughs> You're like, what does that mean? Like, just think positive thoughts? Well, first of all, there is a lot of power in thinking positively. But, but what it's saying is it's profound. It says, as a man thinks in his heart, in other words, what you believe, again, will dictate your behavior. As a man thinks in his heart, meaning not what a man verbally agrees with outwardly. Oh, we can say many things about the Lord. I can consent that I believe this about God. I can confess that I believe this. But if you really want to know what I believe, just watch my life. My life will actually reveal what I really think about God, who he is and who I am, right? So, so I mean, this is something the Lord has hit me on of preaching on Jesus being healer. The Lord has shown me, but Andrew, do you, do you step out and pray enough for that? And I've been confronted with the reality, wait, do I really believe that you purchased that, Lord, you know? Because I can say that all day, but is my life in alignment with that? So for me, when I first, when I, again, going back to my personal story, when I first got saved, man, my thinking was so jacked up, guys. <laughs> so maybe you can find comfort in this, and it still can, but I got saved, and, and here's something that you need to know. When you get saved, all of the stuff you thought about God or yourself doesn't just go away. So you, there's a process where the mind's got to really be changed. So when I got saved, I still carried over all of this. For me, it was performance-based relationship with the Lord. So my whole thing was that who I am before God is rooted in what I do. And honestly, I felt like I had moments where I could reach that perfection, but most of the time it eluded me. So most of the time I just felt like God, I had to wait for a real connection with God after I die. <laughs> uh, on this side of eternity, I would just never have it. I felt like the, the number one characteristic I knew about the Lord is that he's got a really long finger and it's always pointed at me. <laughs> it's always not good enough, not measuring up, whatever it may be. So here I am, my thinking's all jacked up and as a result, shame and all the things I shared, depression started to hit my life and I'm here serving in ministry, leading men and it got to the point where there was just times where it gets so depressed, it's hard to like get out of bed. I don't know if you've ever been there where now my will, like it sapped the strength to actually step into God's will for my life to be a leader among men. So my thinking affected my feeling and my feeling was affecting my doing to the point that I said, Crystal, honestly, I, I think I just need meds. <laughs> really, I thought I just need meds to cope with, um, with life. And I'm not against you know, medical intervention. God can touch a broken bone. God can also work through a doctor. I get that. But I will tell you this, that if you are feeling something that you don't want to feel, there's a med for it. Or if there's something you're not feeling that you want to feel, there's medicine for that today. But once that medicine wears off, the issue still remains. Because the, the problem, guys, the problem is our thinking. This is where man is changed. This is where we're transformed. And at the heart of repentance, if we're going to have, I mean, something permanent and lasting, when we repent, metanoia, it means that we're changing our mind to submit to the truth of God. It's, it's, it's so critical because a lot of times in repentance, the first thought is repentance is purely an emotion. Now, there are emotions evolved, but we, we think it's an emotion. And if we've expressed enough emotion, then we've repented. <laughs> or we can think that repentance is merely promising God to do better, 
which is mere moralism. It's just the will. Now, the will is involved, but if you start there, you will not experience lasting change. I want to be so clear. Godly sorrow, Pastor Crystal, knock that out of the park, is so real, and it's a part of repentance in that it leads you into the real change. But I just want to be, because I want you to know, when we respond at an altar call in the lens of repentance, there, is, there can be genuine emotion. I mean, God is really touching. That's doing something. But it's possible, guys. It's possible to beat our breast in sorrow, <laughs> to cry our eyeballs out to the point that there's not a tear left. It's possible to put on sackcloth and ashes and tear our clothes and yet never change. It's possible, and it was so sincere and genuine. I don't want anyone to think when you see that to say, oh, that's, that's a waste, that's in vain. No, no, it can be so sincere that God is really beginning something. But if we don't let us lead into God, what am I believing in my mind that led me there? We can just repeat that cycle all over again and again and again. So part of repentance, perhaps I think the most important part, is really, is really coming for the Lord and saying, God, what lies have I believed about you and who I am that has led me here? And God, I want to replace it with the truth of the Lord. That, guys, that is where we experience real, lasting change. And if you've been frustrated by just trying to change your will or saying, I don't know why I feel this. He says he's the prince of peace, but if someone pulls me aside, I really just feel bound in anxiety and worry. I want you to know the issue is not so much the feeling, it's what you're believing in your mind. And that's what's got to shift. How many of you, I know I've been here, how many of you have ever come here on a Sunday? Because <laughs> this happened to me. I mean, you, you get touched by the Lord like we just happened. You come out of here like you're flying high. <laughs> You're, the first person you see, you're like, I'm going to preach the gospel to them, all right? <laughs> you're so fired up, you're preaching the gospel to anything and anyone you see. I mean, you're giving altar calls to the cats and dogs on the street. Like, everyone's getting born again. You're so excited for what the Lord's doing. You leave that place, Monday morning comes, you wake up, and you hear a voice that says, you're not going to make it. <laughs> or, if he loved you, you wouldn't be going through this. Or not enough, you're not doing enough, you're not doing enough. Or put whatever you want there. You just got out of this place of feeling like I'm on top of the world, I'll pray for anything and anyone and they're going to get born again. I mean, we're laying hands on trees, they're growing fruit, right? <laughs> Caesar did that. They got... No, he did. True story. Guys, Jesus cursed a fig tree and it was cursed. He can also bless it. They're bearing fruit that never was able to bear fruit before in their yard because they blessed it, right? Pear tree, apple, cherry, it's wild. They called the owners of the house and said, has this ever happened before? He said, we've never had fruit come out of these trees. <laughs> it's really crazy. Caesar's a dangerous man. Don't, don't be an assume. But, um, but, yes, that's right. So look, you come out, you feel on top of the world, and it's, it's legit, but Monday comes, you hear that voice, and we start partnering with it. We, listen, Satan has been dethroned. The only authority that we give is when we come into agreement with his lie. And so, so we start parting with these lies, and what happens, Sunday we're on top of the world. By Wednesday, we can't even get out of bed. <laughs> we're like, oh my goodness, I'm not going to make it. Oh my goodness, he doesn't love me. And it's, you know, we've got Bible study and prayer room, and we're giving excuses as to why my great-grandma's not going to make it. I can't be there. Because we're just bedridden now, because we're, we're, so, we're so depressed. And so we may call up a friend, and this is so good. We'll call up a friend and say, hey, this is what's going on. Can you pray for me? And they pray over the phone, and there's like, you really feel breakthrough because there's genuine power in prayer. You should do that. But here's what happens is you hang up the phone, and later that night, it starts all over again. Because at some point, 
we have to, in the midst of those lies coming in thoughts, we have to learn how to stop and take those thoughts captive. At some point, we actually have to stop and say, wait a minute, Lord, I can't afford to entertain a thought about myself that you don't have towards me. And if this is not of you, I'm going to discipline myself to replace it with the truth of God. I, I know, I know, it can feel like you're almost powerless in those situations, but you really, something happens in your mind when you do that. You really are changing in, those, in that place. And you're starting to build habits and your thought life really is shifting. So I, I want to really encourage you to take those, those thoughts captive in those moments and just not let the mind go, right? Um, John, John, what is it? John 8.36, Jesus says, well, it says about the Lord, it says, who the sun sets free is free indeed. It's an amazing text. Love it. I mean, think about what does it look like for man to be completely free? But this has also been a point of frustration for me in my early on in my walk because I heard this statement, who the sun says free is free indeed, and yet when I'm if he says we're free but I'm not free, then clearly I'm missing something. And so what I first started to do is just reduce Christianity to basically it's just about these promises that sound good, but in actuality they won't come to pass until after you die. But if that's the case, then death is your savior, not Jesus. Jesus is your savior. And so what I found is the key is what Jesus says a few verses before that in verse 31, 32. He says this, he says, if, if, conditional, if you abide in my word, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Why does truth set us free? Because lies take us captive. It goes back to the beginning. God said one thing and Satan says, did God really say? It's the battle that still wages today. What reality will you, will you let dominate your life? Will we live under the truth of God or under lies of Satan? When Satan speaks, he speaks lies. He is the father of lies. When he speaks lies, he speaks his native tongue. This is where the battleground is. John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and life abundantly. But the, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Well, how does Jesus give life, and how does the thief steal, kill, and destroy? The first nine verses, John 10, 1 through 9, tell us. He says, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. They do not go after another voice. How does Jesus bring life? With his voice. My voice is spirit and life. How does Satan steal, kill, and destroy? With a voice. A voice of accusation, a voice of lie. He's hoping you'll come under that reality. So it says, if you abide... If you abide in my word, if, conditional, abide, what does that mean? To remain, to stay. Guys, this is so important. This blows up our microwave society <laughs> that, that, that wants to go right away, right away, right away. Listen, we, we got to live, we, we live differently. We've got to learn to build a rhythm in our life where we sink our teeth into the word of God and meditate and chew on it. I want you to know you're changing. You may not feel anything in that moment, but you are changing. I love what uh, Bill Johnson once said, because some people are like, well, I don't understand what I'm reading. And uh, he said, well, do you know what you ate like last week? And they're like, no. He says, but it fed you. <laughs> it nourished you. There are some times you read something and say, I don't understand what I read, but it's nourishing you. It's feeding the spirit. He says, if you abide in the truth, uh, in my word, you shall know the truth. You shall know the truth. Means you don't just know about truth. Truth has gotten into you. And he says, and the truth will set you free, which means truth in, in Christianity is not just about having the right answers to the ABCs of, of faith. Truth is not just I can now respond when someone asks me the 21 questions, right? 
Truth is transformative. Real truth transforms. So again, it's the principle over and over. What you believe dictates your behavior. When you root yourself in the truth of God, guess what the byproduct is? Freedom. Freedom. How, again, how, how, how does the word set you free? Well, we said lies take us captive. Here's another thing. 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says that there is a battle raging over every believer's life over the knowledge of God. And Paul says the primary arena of conflict is the mind. And he says what Satan is seeking to do is he's seeking to build strongholds in the minds. He uses military imagery. What, is, what does it mean? A stronghold is this fortified place that, it, that an enemy can attack from. So Satan seeks to build strongholds in minds that he can attack from. What is the stronghold? It's half-truths about God. It's misconceptions about God. It's faulty paradigms. It's, it's, it's lies about the nature of God, who he is, and how he sees you. And if you can come under one of those things, he builds a stronghold, and from that place he can wreak havoc. What does the truth of God do? The truth of God is like a wrecking ball that comes in and blows up the strongholds. The truth of God it hits these places, and what it does is it breaks down, it tears down, it destroys. It does two things. The word of God will destroy first in order to rebuild. So when you sit before the word, it's really delightful, but it can be really confrontational because it starts blowing up all of the things that we have erected in our minds. Some of us got like towers that have been built over the years that when we get before the word, the word and the truth begin to just crush that thing. And we really begin to experience freedom. Are you, guys, are you guys following me? I feel like this is, I know it's, it's in many ways it's, it's simple, but it's, sometimes we just want to move on to the next thing. Like this is, this is where the change happens, guys. <laughs> right here. Um, I, I've shared with you, that was really like the biblical answer of how truth sets you free. But one of the things that's so fascinating is uh, Crystal sent me an article from her um, from her time in school at Liberty in Christian psychology. What they're finding now, it was an article of these Christian scientists, particularly in neuroscience. What they're finding is now is something that's so, so fascinating. Now, just kind of stay with me because you guys should look this up. It's, it's, it's just amazing of what happens in your brain. For the longest time, it was thought that your brain is developing in the younger years and after that, it's it. It's, it's like concrete. You can't change it after that. Once it's set, it's set. Uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? <laughs> but now what these Christian scientists are finding that are so fascinating is that the mind can actually really be renewed and change. It's really amazing. So through uh, technological advancements, they're studying this. And here's, here's the fancy word. It's called neuroplasticity. We would say in the Bible that's called the renewing of the mind. It's, a, it's the ability of the mind to change. And what, what happens, you guys with me so far? <laughs> Uh, what, yeah, Crystal. Listen, what, what happens, this is really what's going on in your brain, is you have what's called neural pathways. This is my language now. This is how I need to understand it because it just started going above my head. Neural pathways, it's almost like roads that you develop in your mind that is how your mind communicates. They are developed through uh, habitual thinking patterns. So the more you think, you actually... The, 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 the neural pathway, the grooves almost get deeper and wider and stronger. So these things get stronger and stronger and stronger to the point that it's automatic when you see something. For example, riding your bike. When you get on a bike after 30 years, you can just pick it up. Why? You've created neural pathways that just know what to do. Right? Uh, 
traffic. <laughs> when I see traffic from working in uh, Brooklyn Teen Challenge and coming home, when I got on the BQE, anger would hit me right away. <laughs> Listen, and, and I, I started to notice it was getting worse and worse, I feel like, to the point that the moment I saw those brake lights come on and I saw a car sign pull up, it was like my blood just started boiling. I actually, I actually have trained my mind to think anger the moment it sees traffic. Isn't that amazing? Um, food, you could take it with food. Some people can see a, a type of food, they love it. Other people see it and they say, right away, they say, I don't like that. Why? You've trained your mind to think that way. Now, that's pretty, that's pretty harmless. But what about when you look in the mirror or you hear your name mentioned? What are the first thoughts that come to mind? <laughs> what, what if... <laughs> that's good. There you go. <laughs> I, I can tell you that you're far along in the mind because for a while when I looked in the mirror, again, it was, it was failure. It was not good enough, right? These are the first thoughts that come to mind. Let's raise the stakes even higher. What are your first thoughts that come to mind when you think of God? Because this will really affect your life. What do you think about when you hear the name God? And what they're finding, though, here's the amazing thing, is that when you start to put God's truth into your mind or when you start to take thoughts captive, what happens is your old neural pathways, they're actually breaking down and closing up and they're actually going to disappear. You actually form new neural pathways. <laughs> I think this is fascinating to the point that you actually can renew your mind to such a degree that when you see yourself, you think child of God as opposed to what you thought before. Oh, certainly there may be temptation and whatnot to go back, but your mind has actually been changed. I, I just, I think that's absolutely amazing. Yes. <laughs> so your, your, listen, your beliefs, we'll say it again, I want this drilled in, your beliefs dictate your behavior, all right? Here's, um, oh, here's another thing I want to share in that. Here, here's an example, because this is going on today. If I, I've had to watch myself, if I watch three hours of the news every day, <laughs> and watch and read my word for three minutes every day, do you, do you know that I'm actually training my mind to think certain thoughts? It's real, guys. If you switch that, you will find yourself, like in Psalm 2, not being overburdened by the nations plotting against the Lord's anointed, but you will see the one who sits in the heavens and laughs at all that's taking place. Your mind will shift. So this is the pattern. Here, here's, here's, I just want you to see this. It's all over in the word. Colossians 1, verse 21 right? 21, like 22. Uh, Paul talks about how, in verse 22, he says how we're presented before God the Father, holy and above reproach. We're blameless. It's amazing, right? But in verse 21, he says, prior to that, he says, you were once alienated and cut off. He says, hostile in your minds. Hostile in your minds, doing evil deeds. So if you want to change the deeds, what needs to be changed? The hostile mind. Paul says the same thing in Romans 8. He says, set your mind on the spirit, you will walk in the spirit. Set your mind on the flesh, you will walk in the flesh. You will gratify desires of your flesh. Meaning whatever you set your mind on, what you meditate on, will actually dictate the direction of your life. He says at the end of that, he says, for the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. It's impossible to please God. This is... This is, I think it's just fascinating. This, you, how many of you want to walk in the Spirit? How many of you have ever been frustrated and saying, why am I not? Here's why. The Lord, the Lord says you have to learn to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. 
And what happens, you'll actually be governed. You'll actually be governed by that reality, by the Spirit. Um, let's read this one together, Ephesians 4, if you would. Ephesians 4. Is this, is this helping when we talk about repentance now? Do we see how this is so important to really have the lasting change? Um, Ephesians 4, let's do uh, verses 22 to 24. Now, I want to read verse 22, and then I'm going to read verse 24. I'm going to skip 23, okay? There's a reason. I don't recommend that in normal Bible study, but I'm gonna, I just want you to see it. something. So Paul says this, Ephesians 4, verse 22. He says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Okay, so put off the old self. Now look at verse 24. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay? So you see, this is two opposite ends of the spectrum. Paul says on one thing, put off the old self. There's a corrupted way of life that comes with it. Put on the new self in the holiness and righteousness of God. Again, how? How? Look at verse 23, sandwiched right in between. Paul says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. How do I put off and put on? You must be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Most are frustrated because we're trying to put off the old self or force ourselves into the new self without the mind being changed. Notice he says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds, not just your mind. What is Paul saying? Here's what I think Paul's getting at. We all have a mind, but we also have mindsets. In other words, there is a, there's a spirit of the mind. In other words, to renew your mind is not just you lacking an information that you need to put in there. What, to, what it means to renew your mind is that we have a natural mindset or bend against the nature of God that that thing has to be addressed. When we renew our mind, we're not just starting a place of I lack a certain knowledge and I just need to fill it. That's part. But what we're actually saying is I have a natural bend that counters faith. It counters who God is. And I need to take the word of God and come against the spirit of my mind. This is what Paul meant when he said your mind is hostile. You don't just are, you're not just lacking knowledge of God. You actually have a natural bend that counters who the Lord is. So all of us have different struggles in that area. What you need to do is find out, God, where does my mind really wage war against you? And I need to take the truth and get really personal against that thing right there. I need to affect the spirit of my mind. Now, Paul is speaking to believers here, right? Which, again, that tells us something really, really important, which is that when you get born again, all of our wrong assumptions about God and how he sees us are not immediately eliminated. There's a process, guys, where we're learning to put off and put on by the mind being renewed. Do you know what it says in, in 2 Corinthians 4.4? 4? It says that the God of this age who is Satan, seeks to blind the minds of unbelievers that they would not see the light of, of glory that is displayed in the gospel. That is displayed, I'm sorry, the light of the gospel is displayed in the glory of Jesus. In other words, Satan seeks to blind the minds that you would miss the glory of Christ that's found in the gospel. He's, he's all right with you getting a few facts and proofs. What he does not want you to see is the preciousness of Jesus. He does not want you to see the beauty of Jesus. He does not want you to really grow in the spirit of wisdom and revelation to the knowledge of who Jesus is. This is the battleground. This is why we place such an emphasis on beholding the Lord. Because 2 Corinthians 3, right before the God of this age, says that with unveiled face, we can now behold 
the glory of God, and in that place, we're being transformed. As we grow in the knowledge of who God is, we're being changed, guys. Paul, just hear this. Paul says it this way in Colossians 3.10, almost exactly the same as Ephesians 4. He says, put on the new self. All right, Paul, that's great. How do I do it? He says, by being renewed in the knowledge after the image of your creator. Wow. How do I put on the new self? I'm being renewed by growing in knowledge of who God is. This is it, guys. This is the battleground. If we want to have transformed lives, it's us beholding him and asking for the spirit of wisdom revelation to lead us into the truth. And this is where our lives change. All right, two, two verses, and, uh, and I'll finish. Romans 12, 2. I know this is a common one. I just want to share it. Romans 12, 2. Now, I want everyone to follow me in this because up until this point, this is really important, we're about to take a subtle but significant shift. We have approached our change of mind in a certain way. We're going we're gonna to take a, ne- there's a next step of repentance, all right? Just stay with me. Sometimes I struggle to communicate what the things God puts in my heart, so forgive me in advance, but I pray that you really get what's on my heart for this. I really felt the Lord on this for us. This is what it says, Romans 12, 2. Paul says, and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may discern or I'm reading New King James says prove or demonstrate what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we are meant to be so transformed. In other words, our mind are meant to be so renewed that we prove and demonstrate the will of God on the earth. Now stay with me. The will of God, that's important. And if, if we're meant to have such a renewal of the mind that we demonstrate God's will on the earth, a good question to ask is, what is his will? Now, I know there's nuances and it gets very specific and personal, but, but here's what I want to say. Jesus makes it really simple in, his, in the Lord's Prayer. He says, Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Stay with me. We're supposed supposed to have our minds so renewed that we prove and demonstrate the will of God. What's the will of God? That heaven would be on earth. That the realities of heaven, meaning what's loosed in heaven would be loosed on earth. What's bound in heaven would be bound on the earth. We are meant to have our minds so renewed that we actually reveal the realities of heaven. We reveal the sovereign rule of God, that his kingdom has come here on earth which tells me this, that the Spirit of God in the, in the realm of repentance wants to take us to a deeper place than just learning to be forgiven of sins. Are you guys with me? We need to have our minds so renewed. It means we need to let repentance have its full work that we have not just learned how to say no to the wrong things, but we've learned to actually live as children of the kingdom of God and display his will on the earth. This is... This is, uh, to me, this is like one of the most in- important things. Because <laughs> what I find is a lot of time, let me put it this way, Colossians 1.12 says that all of us were under the dominion of darkness. But through Jesus, we have been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son, the light. And if we're not careful, what I have found is that Christianity is often the presentation of how to avoid the kingdom of darkness. Now, there is a real place for that. But I want to learn how to live as a kingdom of his beloved son. I don't want to just learn how to say no to the bad things. I want to know how to say yes to the right things. 
I want to let our minds have to be so renewed that we don't just come out of the kingdom of darkness, but we learn how to step into the kingdom of the light. And we learn how to live as, as his children. We learn how to demonstrate his will on the earth. So I believe that repentance needs to go from a place of just defensive to offensive. Most of the time, repentance, and we're teaching on it. It's, it's biblical. There is a real time that when our lives come out of alignment, we, we did something wrong, we repent. But you don't have to wait to enter into repentance for when you did something wrong. There is an offensive repentance where you're renewing your mind to step into faith. Does that, does that make... I, I really want that to be clear. That, that's the fullness. And, and a lot of times... Again, we're just, if we're not careful, we leave people stuck in this neutral ground. We've learned how to avoid the bad things, but we've never displayed what we're actually supposed to be doing on this earth. Guys, I want to know why when Christ saved me, that he didn't just snatch me from this earth. But not only did he leave me here, but he put the same spirit that was with him in me. Why did he do that? Because as the Father has sent me, he says, I send you. Not, not, as, not as saviors, but as, as followers of him. He says, I'm the firstborn of many brothers and sisters to follow. He said, I, I, I've set you to go bring my kingdom. This, like, the mind has to be changed to this degree. You know what the fullness of the renewed mind is? The mind of Christ. The Bible says we can have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ, guys, is not just good and moral thinking. That's important. The mind of Christ is faith thinking. The carnal mind, we often say, the carnal mind is avoiding lust and greed. True. But the carnal mind is also human reasoning human wisdom, and unbelief. I could actually show you through scriptures that Jesus more sternly addresses unbelief than he does even the sins of lust. That, I'm not downplaying the lust, but what I'm saying is we can avoid those things and still not have a really repentant mind. We still have not really stepped into what it means to be a child of God. Is that, is that, is that, is that clear to you guys? So if our beliefs dictate our behavior and we're called to have the mind of Christ, then our lives should emulate the life of Christ, then we should actually follow. I mean, this is, the, this is, read Luke and Acts. The same spirit was on Jesus was poured out at Pentecost so that we could do the very things that he was doing. We could bring his kingdom. Um, in, uh, in Luke 2, 2.52, yeah, it's 2.52, it says that Jesus, I want you to hear this, Jesus grew, meaning increased, in wisdom and favor with God and man. Now, he's fully God, but he was fully man. How could God grow in something? It's not, an, it's not a statement on, on Jesus' divinity. It's a statement on his humanity. Jesus, as a man, was growing and maturing in wisdom and favor. Hebrews 5.8, we said it last week, Jesus, although he was a son, son of God, he learned obedience. Does God need to learn anything? No. This is an emphasis on humanity. He was really man. He learned obedience through what he suffered in order that he would become the perfect sacrifice. He was being perfected. Here's my point. Jesus grew learned, matured, was being perfected as a man. Did Jesus ever sin? Which means that Jesus, when he was growing, maturing, and learning, it was not about going from sinning to no sinning. Which tells me, which tells me, although we do have sin and we deal with that, but it tells me we need to redefine what it means to be a mature believer. It's not just about learning how to not sin, but it's learning how to step into faith. If Jesus was maturing but never had sin, then that tells us there has to be something more than just avoiding those things. Yes? All right, let's look at Matthew 4, and we'll close here. 
It's, it's to the same point. I just really want us to get the full picture. We repent, yes, of the immoral things. I, I, absolutely, we speak into that. We have been. But we also repent for unbelief, guys. <laughs> we say, Lord, I want my mind to be fully renewed. I want the mind of Christ. So Matthew 4, 17, we'll close here. Uh, Mark, if you, maybe you just play some instrumental if you can. This is, everyone there? This is into the place of, again, this is an offensive repentance that we're being called into right now. Jesus came out of 40 days in the wilderness. This is what he's coming out of, 40 days in the wilderness, and he comes as a man burning on fire. He was, the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Now he's being released out of the wilderness empowered by the Spirit. And he comes out preaching one message, and look what this one message is. Verse 17, it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach. Here's the message he preached, saying, repent, metanoia, change your mind. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now hear me. I think, and I, and I, there's a, this is really one of the most, I, I think a lot of times, mispresented scriptures. Because what we do is we say that Jesus' message was one of escapism. That he was coming and saying, everyone, get right with me so that you know where you go after you die. We think that what this is saying is Jesus is saying, if you die tonight, do you know where you're going to go? I'm all for bringing people into the awareness that they are eternal beings. That is, that is beautiful. There's nothing wrong with that statement. But if we think that's, that's what Jesus' life message is, we will miss it. The reason why we do that is because of the word heaven. And we assume that heaven is speaking of a place that we go after we die. And because Matthew's gospel is the first gospel and the first book of the Bible, we read this first and we come to the conclusion, Jesus' life message was teaching people how to prepare for a future place after they die. Here's the problem. If you go into the very next gospel, the gospel of Mark, the same verse is there. Except it does not use the word heaven, it uses the word God. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, what Jesus is saying here, he's not speaking about our post-mortem destiny. <laughs> he's speaking about the sovereign rule of God has come here now. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Meaning it's near, it's here. He's not saying what will come one day. He's saying, do you know what is here now? So he says, everyone shift. Everyone turn. Everyone get your mind renewed to the reality that God's sovereign kingdom has broken forth into the now. Your future hope is here. Oh, yes, there's something coming, but it's breaking forth into the now. And he's saying, get your mind so renewed to the fact that God's sovereign rule is here right now. Do you know what that means? Cancer has to bow at that. Sickness cannot stand before this. Torment, torment cannot stand at this. Lostness cannot stand at this. Rebellion cannot stand at this. This is the renewed mind. What would it look like to so believe that God's kingdom is here right now? Most of the time, I've heard it said this way, we repent enough to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but we do not repent enough for the kingdom of heaven to enter into us. I don't want to just lead people into, into the kingdom. I want the kingdom of God to possess my life. I want to possess my life. That through me, I become a vessel where his kingdom explodes everywhere that I go. Repentance is the key response of any individual or community to see the inbreaking of the kingdom. The more that we get our minds renewed to live by faith, these signs shall follow those who believe. believe. 
It's, it's really simple. These signs will follow those who believe. If faith is in our lives, these signs will follow. Jesus brought heaven on earth. Jesus, what he's saying is heaven's here right now. You go to Revelation 21, guys, the Western thinking of heaven is all jacked up. We think that we're going to be, Revelation 21 does not show us ransomed souls floating up into the clouds as disembodied spirits playing harps for the rest of their days. <laughs> That's the picture of heaven. No, it's so much better. Here's what Revelation 21 says. It shows the heavens being open and the bride of Christ. It says the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven on earth. Heaven and earth becoming one. Where it's all ending is heaven and earth will become one. Jesus started that mission. He says it's here. One day it'll come in its fullness. The gap in between, I've given you my spirit. I've given you my spirit to go and bring the kingdom in until it returns. That's the gospel message. Why does Jesus give me, I say it again, why did he give me his Holy Spirit? Why did he give you his Holy Spirit after he saved you? What, to hold on and hunker down? No, to be, to be empowered to be agents of change on this earth. That is the fullness of repentance. Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 20, he says we are citizens of heaven. Is Paul saying, guys, forget this world, you're of another world? No, no, no. He was saying it in the book of Philippians to the, Philippi, to, the, to the Philippians, which is Philippi. That was a Roman colony. And they understood how citizenship worked. Because in those days, Rome, Caesar, sent many officers and Roman citizens to settle in Philippi. Why? So that they could bring the culture of Rome to Philippi. That Philippi would look so much like Rome that when Caesar would go and visit, it would felt like he never left. When we are called to be citizens of heaven on the earth, it's not, it's not to disengage this world. It means we're supposed to so much make this earth look like heaven because that's where it's going. <laughs> that's where it's going. That when God, when Jesus comes, he says, wow, if I could use this language, he says, wow, this looks a lot like heaven. <laughs> this looks a lot like where I came from. It's, it's not, it's not, man, it's just not, it's not wishful thinking. It's not just sound good. That really is the mission of the church. Jesus said, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Oh, then maybe we'll just shrink back, right? We'll wait for you. No, he says, all authority in heaven has been given to me. So go, do what? Go. Go. You would, you would think, you would think that if our job is just to get our ticket punched and wait until he returns, that he would say, all authority is mine, so don't worry, you're good. No, he's saying, in light of that, I'm already now ruling and reigning, so begin, go, bring my kingdom. I, I fear, I fear, man, I fear that, we, that if we're not careful, that we can so veer from the mission that we're actually meant to be doing that our primary points of celebration are the expansions of buildings, the acquiring of new equipment, uh, the acquiring of... of or the, the expansion of new programs. Look, I'm all for new programs, new buildings. We will rejoice with that's beautiful. But listen, if we're not careful, we think that's the point of celebration. Meanwhile, our cities still bear the residue of the works of the devil. Jesus said the Son of Man came to manifest, the Son of Man was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. Oh, we celebrate when God's doing things with programs and whatnot, but listen, guys, there's a bigger mission. Lord, may our minds be renewed unto that. Yes? Why don't you stand with me, guys?
So I just want to make sure when we talk about repentance, change of mind, right? And yes, we want to learn how to break agreements with things that are attached to the former way of life. We will always preach on that, but we're also going to preach on how to repent into a life of faith, into the real mission of the church. So I'm just going to ask you guys, I just want to pray over us, if that's right. I actually want to, I want to share these seven, I don't know if you want to call them declarations, but how do you know if my mind is renewed? There's many things. Here's just seven symptoms. And I want to just read these. And I just pray as I read them that they would like, Holy Spirit would sear them in our hearts. And we would, we would make these the markers. All right? So if you want to just settle your heart for a moment for the Lord, close your eyes, whatever that looks like. I'm going to read these seven things and then just pray. How do you know if your mind is renewed? Number one, you live in hope. Any thought in your mind that doesn't inspire hope is rooted in a lie. Jesus is our living hope. His blood paid for everything, guys. There's nothing that his blood is not paid for. Number two, the impossible seems reasonable. When you see an impossible situation, you expect God to do a miracle. Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible. Number three, another symptom of the renewed mind. You live in peace. You don't worry. And your speculations are positive. Your what-ifs are naturally positive instead of negative. Number four, you like yourself and rejoice in your weakness, knowing when you're weak, he is strong. Number five, you're quick to forgive and you freely give others grace and mercy. Number six, you're confident and thankful, for thankfulness protects us from pride. And number seven, you believe in others and give them the benefit of the doubt. So Holy Spirit, I thank you that you search out the deep things of the Father. I thank you that you dwell within us. And I thank you that you have given us the mind of Christ. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us into deep repentance. God, where our minds are so renewed. Lord, yes, we've said no to the former things. We've put off the old self, but Lord, we want to learn how to put on the new self. God, we want to learn how to live with faith. I pray, God, that the fullness of the renewed mind, the fullness of repentance would be in this house. Lord, that truly our, we would be so transformed that we would display, we would prove, we would demonstrate your perfect will here on the earth. God, that our lives would be connection points, bridges for heaven to touch earth. Wherever there's doubt, Lord, I'm praying for faith, faith to replace it. God, where there's insecurities, I pray for godly boldness to touch that. Your full work done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here's, um, here's what I want to do. I want to give opportunity. I feel like for those who'd like to receive prayer, I'm going to have the prayer team come up. Um, twofold, if there's really... Uh, specific things you struggle with in your mind, I want to really pray. Again, there's power in prayer, but from this place, that can give, there's a grace that's released in prayer, but then we need to step in and steward it, all right? So something will happen, I just, from that place, get in the word, really, really have the mind renewed. The second thing is, we just preached on what the mission of the church is. (laughs) 
that we would believe and live like this. So listen, let, let's, let's, just, let's just steward an atmosphere of faith in this place. So if there is, like Shane said, if, there's, if you don't know the Lord, there's salvation today. If, if there is physical ailments, we believe in Jesus as healer. If there is torment, Jesus is deliverer. So if, if those things are going on as well, we want to we give room to pray into that as well, all right? So if prayer team come on up, for everyone else, we bless you. We will see you guys during this week. Look forward to, uh, to prayer room and, and so on and so forth.